0: Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to the last message in this series. This is Impact Cyber Church, and man, we are promoting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom all over the earth. And you know, this series, if you have been following it, is an incredible series for a person who wants to live like a disciple, not just a person who wants to wave their hand at Jesus, get a ticket to heaven, but a person who really wants to live in the quality of life that Jesus promised us that we could have. Today, we're going to be talking about becoming what I behold. In other words, we're going to talk about the ultimate secret. It's it's a secret that's laid out in plain sight about effortless transformation. If you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to have greater character, if you want to be more godly, if you want to be bold, any aspect of who Jesus is, if you want more of that to manifest in your life, this is the broadcast you want to watch, and I'm going to show you how to do it without getting into a bunch of dead works. I'll be right back. Don't go away. I've got a great free download for you this month. The attitude that always will. All you've got to do to get this free message is click right there on the right hand top side of your screen and you can get it right now in your inbox. You know, one of the things that I talk about so often is that there's a continuum between how I see God, how I see myself. How I see the world around me, how I see people in the world around me, how I see circumstances in the world around me, and basically how I treat everyone in that continuum. How I treat God, how I treat myself, how I treat people, you know, how I treat the world around me. And people really seem to have an incredible difficulty in grasping the fact that how I see God ultimately is going to control how I see myself. How I see God is going to control how I see other people. How I see God is going to control and determine how I treat myself and how I treat other people. So because we don't grasp that continuum When we are serious about solving problems, we usually start at the wrong place. We usually start at the behavioral stage. We just start at, I'm going to treat people better. I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to talk nicer to people. So most of our attempts to change our paradigm are actually aimed at our behavior or at some external factors, and they never solve the root problems. Now, there's something that you've got to know. If you are a serious believer... If you're truly intent on serving God, if you're truly intent on living a godly life, then you will become the express image of the God that you believe in. So if you believe in a legalistic God, you will be legalistic. If you believe in a mean unmerciful God, you will be mean and unmerciful. If you believe in a compassionate God, you will be compassionate. So it's kind of a paradox. The more serious I am about serving and walking with God, the more I better have the right concept of God. The more I better get my paradigm in line with God, the more I better get my opinions in line with God. But here's something else you need to know. If you're not really a serious believer who is deeply intent on being more Christ-like, then you will create a concept of God that looks like you. See, the serious believer becomes like the God that they believe in and the interpretation this is why paradigms and opinions and perspectives are so important because we're reading the bible with a we're projecting our opinions we're projecting our paradigm onto the bible so that it looks like what we've always been taught and we're becoming like that god that we believe in but just the exact happens our exact opposite happens if i'm not really that serious about god i am going to twist the bible And I'm going to find people that verify my false concepts. and I'm going to create an image of God that looks like me. So if I can create an image of God that looks like me, then that will justify all of my behavior. And I have known people over the years, you know, I have known people who, they loved God. They were serious people, but they had struggles in their life and they couldn't overcome those struggles. They didn't know how to overcome those struggles. So they would begin their doctrine. And see, people's doctrine is a reflection of how they see God. And so they would start creating doctrine that justified a compromised lifestyle. And before long, not only are they compromised, but they're actually leading other people into compromise because they need to believe in a God that justifies who they are, that justifies them. So The thing we must know is this, we all become like the God we believe in, and that is what we express to the world, and that is what determines the way we treat people. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says this, and remember, starting earlier in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, listen, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, and you better get this straight. I did not come to do away with the law or the commandments. He said, not one word of it shall pass away. And people don't know how to reconcile that because we are delivered from the law for righteousness sake. We're not delivered from the commandments of God. We're not delivered from the wisdom of God. We're delivered from the law for righteousness sake, according to Romans 10, 4. But what we do now is we take Jesus' interpretation of those commandments and understand how to walk in love. It's just, it's really that simple. And so starting in Matthew chapter 5, all the way through chapter 5, all the way through chapter 6, and I think all the way through chapter 7, he compares the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, which was all about legalism and condemnation and guilt, and compares that to what God's true intentions were. So he says in, in verse 43, he says, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, you notice that he didn't say you read it in the scripture. Because You see, the law that was so destructive was not what God had written in the scriptures. The law that was so destructive was the interpretation and the application of the law that was written in the Scriptures. So men who were not born again, men who had not seen God, men who just took their carnal mind and came up with interpretations and created teachings and doctrines, came up with how they saw God. Actually, what they did is they either extrapolated the Scriptures and came up with a concept of God, but at the root of it, the guiding factor was always their prejudices, their fears, their frailties, their compromises. And so they took the Scriptures and created a God that looked like them. And since they were mean and legalistic and self-righteous, they created a mean, legalistic, self-righteous God by the way they twisted the Scriptures. So he said, now this is what you've heard. Now, remember, he's comparing the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees to this righteousness that we are called to walk in. Now, let me say something. When there's a conflict anywhere in the Bible between what the Bible says here and what the Bible says here, if it's not consistent, if it's not congruent, the conflict is never in The Bible. The conflict is always in the way that we are interpreting the Bible. It's our interpretation that creates conflicts. And sadly, because religion has come up with bad translations of the Bible because we are not raised studying the Word of God like we're supposed to. We don't teach our kids the Bible. We don't teach our kids how to walk with God. We don't teach our kids what it means to love God, love yourself, love the Word. We don't teach our kids about the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus, we send them to 30 minutes of Sunday school a week hoping that 30 minutes of Sunday school will overcome eight hours of godless programming that they get at school and on the playground. And then we wonder why our kids don't trust God, why they don't believe in God, why they end up on drugs, why they live crazy lives. Well, you know, that's why. But I'm going to tell you something else you better realize. If Jesus says something and you find another scripture that seems to refute what he's saying, you better always take Jesus' side. You know, I had somebody contact me the other day. One of the most powerful books that I've ever written is called How to Stop the Pain. Man, it's all about getting free from judgment. Jesus said, thou shalt not judge. And then he goes into the effects of judgment. Man, I get a contact from somebody saying, this is all crap. And he uses a scripture over in Corinthians where it talks about we should judge ourselves or this. And it's sort of like, wait a minute. You don't have enough sense to know that if Jesus said you should not judge and you find a scripture like that, that maybe there's something you don't understand. Because you see, Jesus gave us an exact representation of God. I've always got to interpret everything the way he said. Well, when you get into the original languages, it's not hard to sort that out, but we weren't taught that. And this is why God told parents you know, to teach their kids. So anyhow, man, Jesus said, I'm going to show you, what God really meant by this. And so we're going to dive back into this. I'll be back in just a minute and get ready to strap your seatbelt in because we've got a lot to cover in the next few minutes. It's going to be life changing for you. I'll be right back. My new series, Paradigms, Perspective, and the Glory of God, is designed to do just what it sounds like. I want you to see, to perceive, and to experience the glory of God, the reality of God, the splendor of God, the greatness of God, the power of God in every single area of your life. And I'll tell you something. When you can see God's reality, you can believe God's reality. And when you believe God's reality, you will experience in every part of your life. You definitely want this series. Hey, listen, let me remind you to be sure and like this broadcast. You know, every time you like this on YouTube, it causes more people to see this. And when more people see this, we get to help more people all around the world. Now, listen, I just want to remind you of this. Jesus said, I'm showing you the difference between how man, how religious man interpreted what God said and what God said and what God truly intended. So in verse 44, he says, but here's what I say to you. And this is the righteousness that exceeds that corrupt righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I say, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That's what God tells us we should do to our enemies and to those who bring hurt and pain in our life. Then verse 45 says this. It says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, you know, when God makes it rain, he doesn't make the rain just rain on the righteous garden and not on the unrighteous garden. He doesn't make the sun shine on the righteous garden and put a cloud over the wicked garden. He doesn't do that. Now, that's what religion would have you believe, that God puts blessings and curses on different people. God offers blessings to everyone. Now, they choose whether or not they participate in But many people will take a scripture like that and say, see, you can't follow Jesus' teaching because he's telling you that you become a son of God by works. no. When he says that you may become, remember, the Bible wasn't written in English, and it definitely wasn't written in King James English. When it says that you may be sons of your father, it's talking about something being received, something being the equivalent to something else, or expressing something because of something that already exists. So so he's saying, if you want to be the equivalent, if you want to be like your father, this is what you're going to do. Now, I'm going to run through a bunch of stuff here. We won't read all these scriptures. You're just going to have to look them up. But you know, in Isaiah 52, it explains to us why people hated God. I've shared this scripture with you before. Isaiah 52, 5 through 7 says, look, I'm just going to paraphrase and run through it because of the time. He says, look, people go into captivity because their leaders teach them to blame God for everything. And people blaspheme God day and night because of those who rule over them. And he basically says that the time is going to come when people will see me as I am. And that's when they're going to get set free. That's when there's going to be the worldwide revival that we want. See, the problem is people don't see God the way he really is. And so because they don't see God the way he really is, the way they treat people, the way they see the world, the way they interpret everything around them becomes perverted to whatever their particular intentions really are. So... You have to realize we project whatever it is we believe, whatever it is we're committed to experiences, whatever is our paradigm dictates to us and affects our perception, you know, that's what we preach. That's what we teach. That's what we share with people. And you say, "Well, well, then everybody does that. Then we can never understand God. No, if we look at Jesus, Jesus is Lord. He is one with God. He only did those things that he saw the Father do. What do you mean he saw the Father do? In other words, what he saw the Father do in the Word. He only taught what God said, and everything he taught, he taught from the motive of God's love. Yes, he called people to repentance. Yes, he told people to get out of sin. Yes, he challenged people about their compromised life, but he never attacked them, and he never condemned them, and he never beat them up. He always offered them a way out. But see, our problem is we project onto God our paradigm. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve fell, you got to remember, God came out in the cool of the day in Genesis 3, it tells us, and he called out to Adam, and he was calling out for restoration. He was calling out for a reconnection, but Adam projected his fear onto God. In other words, he projected his paradigm, how he understood God now because he was passing judgments and making assumptions, and he assumed that God was there to hurt him, and that's why he hid from God. And that's why we hide from God is because because we're projecting our distorted views on him. You know, Colossians 121 says, it says, uh, And you once were alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Now, this is not saying that our alienation with God only existed in our mind. That's not what I'm saying. Many people are trying to say this. Oh, man's never really been separated from God. This just only exists in his mind. And, and, really, and this is where people get into universalism, ultimate reconciliation. Everybody's really saved. They just don't know it. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that, that you're saved and don't know it. The alienation was real. But the idea that we were enemies is something that only existed in our minds because of our wicked works, because see, our wicked works, these things that we do, these things that we embrace that are unrighteous, we have to justify them. And they violate our conscience and it makes us hate God. And we project our ideas about God's wrath and all of these, all of these things on us. And, you know, I tell you, if you ever get a chance to come to one of my Dignity and Worth seminars or when I release my Dignity and Worth book, this is something you want to read because you need to understand the impact that happens when we violate our conscience, even if we don't know we're doing something wrong, it's a, an incredible incredible factor that most people really never get in touch with you know in the book of Numbers in chapter 13, the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land. And so they sent spies in to spy out the land to see if it really was a rich land like God had promised and to see what kind of armies that they would face when they went in there. And so they came out of the promised land and... Um, Two of the spies had a good report, but the other spies said, no. You know, yeah, there's grapes in there that are humongous. Uh, There's all of these wonderful things there. But in verses 26 through 30, it says that when they came back, it says they brought back word to all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land, and then they told... that we went to the land where you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is his fruit. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, in other words, the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and Jebusites and Amurites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Basically, and then they said, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And in fact, in our eyes, we look like grasshoppers. Well, I'll tell you something, God had already promised the land. When God promises you something, the only thing you lack to possess that promise is to own it in your heart. You know, Some people have this concept that if God gave us something through the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's just automatically ours. God gave salvation to the whole world. That doesn't mean the whole world is already saved. God gave healing through the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean they're already healed. What it means is this. This is yours. It's like getting a deposit in your spiritual bank account. Your inheritance is deposited in your bank account. But see, just like the children of Israel... I have to possess this land, and that possessing this land starts with whether or not I believe God's report in my heart, whether or not I believe and trust who God really is, who I am in Jesus, what I have through the death, burial, and resurrection. So you have to understand something. What God has given you absolutely is already yours, but it can't manifest in your life until you possess it in your heart. So, the things that you believe about yourself can restrict what you're able to receive from God. And the things that you believe about yourself are because of the things that you believe about God. You see, the God we believe in is the one we have created in our own mind, unless we are looking at Him through the life, the teachings, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Any opinion of God outside of that is a carnal mind. And the carnal mind can't really take hold of it. It's not subject to the life of God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It puts you at odds with God. And so you have to realize that I can't live in these vain imaginations. I can't create a concept of God or of myself based on beliefs that are not rooted in accurate knowledge. You know, people take 2 Corinthians 10 where it talks about, you know, dealing with vain imaginations and casting them down. They attribute that to warfare with the devil. That has nothing to do with the devil. That has to do with the things that you think that are not based on the accurate knowledge of God as revealed by the Lord Jesus. That's the only place to get accurate knowledge of God, the life. The teachings, the ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you're not getting what you believe about God from him, through him, then you have an opinion. You have a paradigm. You have a way of seeing things. And from your perspective, it looks true. But it is bringing the death and destruction into your life that you so desperately want to get free from. You know, I love this scripture in First John chapter three. Most of you have heard me quote this many, many times and preach on it. It says, Beloved now, right now, we're the children of God. We are heirs. We're joint heirs. We have full benefits. We are not waiting to become the sons of God. We are the sons of God right now. We don't need more knowledge. It's not about how much information that we have. It's about the fact that we believe on Jesus. So that's what it means to believe on Jesus. Believe on who He is. Believe on what He taught. Believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. There's so many people say they believe on Jesus, but they only believe on some part of Jesus, or they only believe on uh, some part of the resurrection, or they just believe what they want to believe about Jesus. That's not what the Bible's talking about. We believe, and he is our Lord. But anyhow, it says, beloved, now we're the children of God because we're in Jesus. Even though it has not yet been revealed, that word revealed could also be the word manifest. In other words, it may not be showing in my life what I shall ultimately express in my life who I really am on the inside. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, why? Because we see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope of being like him as a result of seeing him as he is, purifies or sanctifies him. So if that word sanctify is related really to the concept of meditation, to setting yourself apart in your heart and concentrating on him, setting yourself apart unto him, so that you connect with him, so you see him, so that you align your every thought, your every opinion, your every belief with what Jesus taught, with what Jesus accomplished, with who Jesus was. I want to tell you something. This is so simple, and we resist it because we don't want to die to our opinions. Listen, I'm going to give you a minute moment about how to put this in practice. I'll be right back. Have you ever just felt like you couldn't see the truth? I've had people say that to me so many times. I just can't see it. Well, I'll tell you something. In this new series, Paradigms, Perspectives, and the Glory of God, your eyes are going to open and you're going to discover how to always see what God's Word means and says. You know, Jesus didn't call you to be a Christian. He called you to be a believer. He called you to be a disciple. He called you to be a son. He called you to be an heir. He didn't call you just. To be a Christian. I want to tell you something. Everything about Impact Ministries is about making disciples, developing people to know who they are in Jesus, developing people to see Christ as He really is and to understand God through Him. That's why Jesus is Lord. And really, that is the foundation of this whole ministry. No matter what subjects we teach on, it always goes back to who is Jesus, what did He say, what did He accomplish, and who are we because we are in him. So I wanna invite you, be sure and, and watch these broadcasts, share in these broadcasts, but I also wanna invite you to help me take this gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. You see, we are not living in the kingdom if we are not surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. Most of the world has waved their hands at Jesus, but they've never made him Lord. Join me as a world changer. You know, I was doing a podcast with my great friends, Bob and Audrey Meisner, yesterday. And so, you know, we were talking about the whole process of transformation and where reading the Word of God comes into this. And I said, well, Jim, you know, you never really told us much about how you read the Bible. You know, what you do, what's your process when you read the Bible? And I told him, I said, well, you know, the key thing to read the Bible is to read the Bible prayerfully. Well, unfortunately, since most people have no concept what prayer really is, that doesn't make much sense, people. But prayer, according to the original Hebrew word, is to assess and to reconcile. And so anytime you're praying, most of what you're doing is, is looking at your life and saying, oh, this isn't as good as God promised me, so I'm getting rid of this, and I'm going to reconcile this so that I have what God promised it. That's what the Bible calls put off, put on, and we talk about put off at all the time. So you know something, when you're reading the Word of God, take your time. You're not running a race. Just take your time. And anytime you read a story, doesn't matter if it's Abraham, Isaac, Jesus, no matter who it was, Paul, David, you know, you might just kind of project yourself in that story and say, would I handle it that way if I was in that situation? And what would I be afraid of? Or why wouldn't I handle it that way? And so I'm evaluating as much as I can in my heart, those situations. And then I'm going to reconcile and I'm going to determine and I'm always going to make the decision. Okay, Father, I choose that if I'm in that circumstance, this is how I want to do it. And I'll I'll just shut my eyes and do a little mini meditation where I just envision myself Handling it the godly way that Jesus handled, or handling it the godly way that other people see. So, you know, I create all of these exercises about put off, put on, because most people do not do put off, put on in their daily life. Most people, in fact, really just occasionally do put off, put on, or never do put off, put on. But if we do this as a process in our daily life, then the real truth is we're not going to end up in the counselor's office, we're not going to end up with big, major problems that are unsolved. So, I want to be sure. That as you're reading the Word, you read it prayerfully, and you're putting off, putting on. And listen, be sure at the end of this to subscribe to this YouTube channel. It's going to help me reach millions of people. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.